I will be reading from John 6, 26 through 29. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you did not, you ate the loaves and you had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures to, to eternal life, which the Son of God, Son of Man, will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, What must we do? to get the works God requires. Jesus answered, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Go ahead and be seated. And we'll be in Genesis chapter 2 here in just a minute. But uh, happy Labor Day coming up tomorrow. It was, uh, it was I think, fitting the words that Landon shared with us were tremendous. And that remembering why we do things that are very important, and the Lord's Supper is definitely one of those. And I as well looked up some of the history of Labor Day. Now, I'm not going to repeat some of the things that Landon shared because he did a fantastic job with that. But I want to share just a, a little bit about um, some of the events that led up to the, the protest that he talked about. And, and one, some of that is, let me back up and say this first, is that I think there's a tendency with, with me and, and others to think, that there was a time in our history, when you look back in the history of the United States, where everyone was spiritual and it was wonderful and everybody just kind of hovered above the, the, the earth and, and things were just great. And if you read history very deeply, you find out that that is not the case at all. I, I doubt um, in the 1850s we look back at the, uh, some of the choices that the country made with slavery and some of that and think, wow, that's a tremendously spiritual people. That was uh, The opposite was true in a whole lot of cases. And the same is, is with Labor Day. Is right after uh, s- slavery was abolished, the Industrial Revolution was coming on right at that same time. And so people were leaving their farms where they were just barely eking out a living and were going to work in these big factories so that they could produce goods that would be used in our country. And what, what it looks like in the late 1880s, at the height of the Industrial Revolution in the United States, and I'm going to read parts of this and just tell parts of it, the average American worked 12-hour days and seven-day weeks in order to eke out a basic living. So pay was low and work was really hard. When I lived in Italy, um, there was a, a young man that was my age that he and his family owned a Chinese restaurant just two doors down from the church building. And he had immigrated from mainland China. Um, he didn't read very well at all. He could speak Italian like I could speak Italian with an accent, and it was street Italian. It wasn't, it wasn't cultured Italian. But as long as I knew this, this young man, as long as he and his family owned that restaurant, I do not ever remember a day where he did not work. He worked seven days a week, and once in a while he would skip working lunch at the restaurant to come hang out with us, but he worked every day. That's what he did. That's all he knew, and that's what, what he did day in, day out. And that was the case in our country. There was people who were working day in, day out, working 12 hours a day, no rest. Some states had some restrictions, but maybe even more sad is there is a, a many states had children that were five or six years old that toiled in mills, factories, and mines across the country, earn a fra- earning a fraction of what their adult counterparts made. So children, oftentimes orphans or, or children that just parents couldn't support them, sent them into the factories to work as well. And people of all ages, particularly the very poor and recent immigrants, and so people that were immigrating to this country oftentimes were were grabbed and said, you need to work in this factory 12 hours a day, seven days a week. 
and they faced extremely unsafe work conditions, did not have access to fresh air or bathrooms, and were not given breaks. And so think about that. Put yourself in that situation. Is Think back in our country. There was a time where this was happening a lot. And you can imagine, it's small wonder that the, uh, the, the revolution that Landon talked about happened. People got mad. People went to the streets and said, you've got to pay us better. We've got to have some time off. This isn't working. This is hard. And this, this great battle happened in the streets. And the end of the 1800s, towards the last years there, Grover Cleveland signed into, into law. First Monday in September is going to be a Labor Day where people get a day off. And part of that was a promise that we're going to work together to try to, to make this country different. Because they understood, or at least some people understood, that you can't have a great country if workers are not happy. You have to find a way to, if workers are happy, then you can make a great country out of that. And our country, I think we can look back and see that there's been a great prosperity that's happened and God has given us a lot. Because when you look back, there was terrible working conditions and few jobs. And so if someone got hurt, they were just washed out and someone else would come in, some other immigrant would come in and, and fill their place. If you've ever been to the Museum of the Mines in Butte, there's a list there, there's a, a big poster that is, that is A, B, C, D, all the way down of, P, of the jobs that were available, what people were paid, and there were no days off. <laughs> you just worked. That's what you did. And here, in our world, it's amazing, in the Gallatin Valley now, uh, I know that I had a, one of my neighbors was, um, she directed the job service in Bozeman. And this was several years ago, during the winter, it was not during the summer when there's a lot more jobs. She had 1,300 jobs that she could not place people in. Okay? There's maybe some people don't want to work or whatever. But the point is, is that we've got a lot better conditions and we have an abundance of jobs and opportunity in our world. Do we not? Lots and lots of opportunities and, and lots of, of more controls put in place so people can have a, a good working environment. And I look at that and think, wow, now this worked. Labor Day worked. This worked in order to try to provide something much better, opportunities for workers in our, in our world. And it got me thinking this last week is, what does that mean for us spiritually? What are some lessons that we learn from Labor Day spiritually? What does it mean to work for God? All those questions. And so I spent some time going back and just walking through scriptures that talked about working. And I found some themes, and I want to share some of those with you this morning. Um, we're going to start back in Genesis chapter 2. Go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. And this is, God is creating the world here. And I'll start in verse 1. It says, Thus the heavens and earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So that on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating the creating that he had done. Now, I don't know how, a lot of things I don't know about God and how he operates, but it appears that creating the earth and creating all that God did was a lot for him. He created it, it was amazing, it was beautiful, it was, it was all that. But God took that seventh day to step back and say, I'm going to rest and I'm just going to enjoy this creation that I have made. And so we see here is that God works and God also rests. So sometimes work, work is a thing, okay? 
But too much of a good thing can be a bad thing, correct? And even God, at the very beginning, understood and shares with us his example that there is a time that people need to be able to rest and rejuvenate. Let's continue on. In chapter 2, verse 15, he creates Adam and Eve, and it says, The Lord God took man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. And then Eve is, in this uh, chapter 2 account of, of Genesis, Eve is created here a little bit later. But the beautiful thing here that we see is that God, from the very beginning, gives mankind a purpose and a plan. And, and something I've noticed over time is that as people, if we don't have a purpose and a plan in life, if we wake up in the morning and don't have a purpose or plan for what we're going to do, we end up just being people that wither away into nothing. I've known a few people that have, that have been laid off for, for uh, long periods of time or have just decided that they're not going to work, they're not going to have a plan and purpose, and that's really hard on them, emotionally, physically, spiritually, everything. And so God's plan for us is, he says here with Adam, my jo- Adam, your job is to take what I've created. You're going to do something great. You have a great purpose in life, and I'm entrusting you with this. The same is true for all of us, as we're called to have a purpose and plan. We wake up in the morning with a purpose that we're to accomplish something, some sort of work that we're called to do um, in our jobs, in our families, among God's people. All of those things, having a purpose and a plan is, is important for life. Let's continue on. In uh, Exodus chapter 1, go ahead and turn there. And grab your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 1. And we're going to see here, I'll start reading in verse 11. And this is what happens. The Israelites go into to Egypt and they end up being made slaves there. Exodus chapter 1, 11, it says, So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Pithom and Ramses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and work them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them tirelessly. Okay, that doesn't sound very good, does it? Does that sound like the Industrial Revolution in America? That kind of does. Is You're going to work all day, you're going to work seven days a week, and, and we are going to absolutely wear you out. Because we don't really care about you. We just want work. We just want production. We just want all of this to happen. And so God sees them, and Israel gets their own Labor Day, if we can say it that way. Except instead of them revolting, it is God stepping into history on their behalf. Fast forward to chapter 12. What happens in the meantime is Moses is sent. He comes. The 12 plagues are inflicted upon Egypt. And this is what happens, the death of the firstborn, and God is describing what's going to happen here during the Passover. Chapter 12, verse 16, it says, On the first day... Hold a sacred assembly, and another on the seventh day. Do no work at all on those days except to prepare food for everyone to eat. That is all you may do. And so in the middle of this time where God is, is, uh, is inflicting the, the Egyptians with all sorts of plagues, the Israelites have been working, 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 and in the last while, God, the, the Pharaoh has, has increased their workload, and they're just... just wilting under the burden of all this work, God says, all right, what I want you to do in the middle of all this, I want you to take two days off where the only thing you can do is cook and feed people. That's it. You're to do no other work. I'm sure the Egyptians are going to just love that, you know. 
But they're, they're, they're running out of options. The Egyptians are no longer in control, and that's becoming clear here. And God says, I'm going to give you a couple of days off, because this is very important here. Continuing on to chapter 20 in Exodus. Chapter 20, the book of Exodus. And here we have the Ten Commandments. And built into the Ten Commandments, in verse 8 it says, Remember the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day it is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your town. See, God knows how we are as people. Is if we can't work, well, maybe my son or daughter can work, or maybe my animal can work, or something like that. And God just says, all right, here, I'm going to make this real clear. No one works. That's how it's supposed to be. For six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And if we look at that, we see God, something very, uh, very important that God teaches us is in the Israelites, when they received their labor day from God, saying, you may not work on this day. The point he's getting across is that more is not always better. More production is not always better. And we understand that if we've ever been in a situation where you just work, 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 and pushing really hard, we, we stop being, we just do. And we stop being able to reflect, and we stop being able to think, and we, and we, uh, we run into all sorts of personal dysfunction when that happens. So God says there's got to be a time of rest here. And that's the example that he gives us. When we go to Proverbs, we see some other, some other messages here from, him, from God. Go ahead and turn there. Turn to the Proverbs. And these are just wise sayings from God that help us understand how to live. And Proverbs chapter 14, verse 13 says... Um, I have that right there. Proverbs thirteen or fourteen twenty three, excuse me. Fourteen twenty three says, All hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Okay? We can talk a lot, but that doesn't that doesn't help us provide for ourselves. Uh, Proverbs twenty verses nine and ten. Proverbs twenty nine and ten says Um who can say, I have kept my heart pure, I am clean without sin. Differing weights and, and measures and differing measures, the Lord detests them both. Did I, that's not the one I was looking for. Man. Okay. Anyway, the second verse speaks again. Maybe you can look through 20. You guys can look through 20 because I know it's there. Um, but what it says is, again, there's all, if we dream, we can dream all sorts of stuff, and that doesn't, doesn't provide for us. But... Hard work brings a great profit. And so putting our hands to something and, and doing something working hard, like God has created us to do, is good. And that brings, brings something good into our life. The prophets, of, and I didn't include any scriptures here, but there's, the prophets talk about this a lot. It is ultimately, they provide a correction for this, because our tendency is to work, 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 or it can be is that ultimately God brings the prophet. Because what the Israelites had done is said, okay, we need to work, we need to be productive, we need to get after this, and, and oh, by the way, we're just going to cut the Sabbath out of this, and we're going to work on the Sabbath, we're going to find a way to work on the Sabbath. And God is saying, part of the reason that your crops aren't working, part of the reason that things aren't going very well for you, is that you are working too hard here. Okay? You're not taking the time for God, you're not putting Him first during these, these moments. 
And I think about for, for myself, I know the story that I've heard from my grandfather, and I think I've shared this with, with some of you before, is that my grandfather, when he became a Christian, he was a farmer down in Texas. He ran cattle, ran, uh, grew wheat. And his brother lived next door to him. And my grandfather, when he, he came to, to follow God, he decided for the, the workers that he had on his farm that he was going to shut the farm down on Sunday and he was not going, even during harvest season, even if the weather, if it, even if it was going to rain all the rest of the days, it was going to be sunny on Sunday and then continue to rain again, if that's what the forecast said. He said, I, I believe that God is bigger than all this. I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to shut the farm down on Sunday. And he did that. And his relatives around the area said, you are a fool. <laughs> you can't do that during harvest. And within a few years, my grandfather had been given all sorts of awards for being one of the most successful farmers in the county. And he gave credit to God because he said, somehow, somewhere in all this, I know that God provides everything and I'm just going to let him provide. And I'm going to, to uh, put him first in, in the day that I go and worship him. And, and God provided uh, something amazing during that time. Into the New Testament, here's some other spiritual lessons from working. And I put these scriptures up here so you can look at up here if you like. Colossians chapter 3, 22 through 4, 1. And I want to share a little bit of background here because this is talking about slaves and masters. And immediately for us, we throw up a timeout and say, whoa, wait a minute, I'm a slave. I'm a slave to no one. And okay, hopefully that is the case for all of us. Uh, debt can make us a slave to, uh, and, and change our lifestyle for sure. Scripture talks about that in our world. Getting into massive debt sure makes us a slave in a, in a very real sense. But all of us probably have somebody that we work for in some form or fashion. And so in Jesus' world, that's how it worked. You had masters, you had slaves. And even in the Jewish world, slaves or Jews could sell themselves to somebody else, basically saying, I will work for you for up to seven years if you pay these debts off or there's, there's something in exchange. And so for us... Slavery in, in Jesus' world is oftentimes like our work relationship. So there's some spiritual lessons to learn here. It says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when their eye is on you to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and with reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven. Boy, our industrial revolution would have done a great thing to just stop and read this. And for us as Christians, if you have people that work for you, your job is to be right and fair with them, and as far as it depends on you, give them a great working environment to be able to participate in. And when we work for others, do you notice here, it says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And so the point here from Scripture is, when we're working for other people, and you have someone that you're working for that is an absolute horrible person by anybody's standards that asks you to do all sorts of terrible things and, and just makes life awful for you, remember these words. Work as you're working for God in everything. And that should change all of us. Uh, when, we, when we go to work, 
whatever it may be, is I am doing this, whether it be taking out the garbage, whether it be pipe fitting, whether it be uh, stringing along electrical wire, whether it be fixing a vehicle, whatever it is, I am doing this if this were Jesus' vehicle or Jesus' house right here. I'm doing this because I want to honor God. And just think about what that, what that looks like when all of us work day in, day out, as if everything that we're doing, we are doing as a worship that we're offering to God. Beautiful, isn't it? Isn't it amazing? It makes Christians the best employees out there and the best managers out there. That's what God has called us to be here. Let's look at another scripture. And this is one that uh, Kyle read here just a second ago. John 6, 26 to 29. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Okay? I know you're following me because I gave you something to eat. Okay? But I want you to think bigger than this. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And they asked him, what must we do to do the work God requires? Okay, what are you talking about, Jesus, here? How are we supposed to work in such a way that we're not just working for bread? I mean, that's what we work for. That's why we do that. That's why I'm a carpenter. That's why I'm a fisherman. So I can, I can get bread. And Jesus says something different. I'm asking you to work for something else. And they say, how do you do that? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Because if we believe in Jesus, we dedicate our lives to Jesus, then everything we do, again, becomes an offering and a worship to God in some form or fashion. So look at one more scripture here, Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news, the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I look at this, and I, I am amazed at this passage, and I think it's, it's beautiful, it's, it's, um, it's wonderful, it's something that should, should cause us to consider. Uh, according to John, this, Jesus said this, and he probably said it many times, not just once, but this seems like something that Jesus reminded his disciples on a regular basis. But as Jesus has just spoken with the Samaritan woman, and the people are coming out over the fields to come and, and hear what Jesus has to say, and his disciples are saying, hey, you want something to eat? And Jesus said, I've had plenty to eat, thank you, things that you don't even know or understand. And his disciples are curious, trying to figure out what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus says, look, the fields are white for harvest. And the disciples look at the fields that you know, right now they're, white for harvest here. They're starting to harvest wheat in, in our valley. But Jesus looks beyond that and he sees the people. He says, look, the field is white for harvest. Pray for the Lord of the harvest, therefore to send out workers into his harvest field. And I know that I've heard many times this being taken to understand is we need to pray for God to send out ministers into his world to, uh, and rise up ministers. And I think that's good. I think that's right. I think that's honorable. My prayer is that God continues to call people who are, who are called to be evangelists and ministers that, that share the message of God. But I, I believe that's, that's a superficial reading that we miss something much greater that Jesus was getting at here. And again, that Jesus, I think he, from, you see from the scriptures that he, he repeats this different times. And he's getting at something much, much greater. He's getting at, as his disciples are, are listening there, pray for God to send out people who are workers into his harvest field. Whether someone is a plumber, 
and works their life doing that, I hope they see that that work that they do is a work that is honorable to God and they take God with them wherever they are. If a person is going to be a mechanic, that they do that every day as they are working for the Lord and day in, day out, show Christ in how they are working. If a, a person is going to to be a, a stay-at-home mom, that they do that in a way that honors God day in, day out, and shows godliness in whatever they're doing. If a person is going to be a fish tech and going to take care of the fish, Travis takes care of the fish on the Madison River. I'm sure glad that we have someone who believes that God created the fish, taking care of the fish there on the Madison River, than a secular atheist. You know, I appreciate that because Travis can bring something spiritual to that and demonstrate godliness in that way. If a person is going to, to deliver packages, do so day in, day out, as one who is doing so with the love of God. That changes our world, doesn't it? If we have people, all of us, wake up every day saying, everything that I'm going to do laboring for God, that I'm laboring for, is for God. There's not a, uh, this is the stuff that I do for me, this is the stuff that I do for the church, but all of the work that I do, every bit of labor that I give, is something that I can give to God and God is going to use to do something good. And I can't help but think that that's what Jesus is thinking about when he's saying this, is I want people, no matter how they earn their paycheck, for them to see God working. And they are primarily, more than anything else, a worker for God that is whatever job they have at that point in time is going to be working for God. Man, that's beautiful, isn't it? I think that's got to be what Jesus is thinking about here. Jesus is thinking about you and me and whatever our situation may be, is that we take very seriously that every day that we wake up, that all the work that we do is something that we offer as an offering and sacrifice to God. Man, God changes the world with people like that, with people like you and me when we decide that. I think about uh, uh, other examples, and let me share a few of these ones, just things that I was thinking about, is... I know that up at Yellowstone Bible Camp, we were up there yesterday, and we're going to go back this afternoon to participate in the Labor Day uh, camp. And there is a, a family from Wyoming that is there that has heard about Yellowstone Bible Camp and just wanted to come. And uh, it's hard for them to come during the summer because uh, they're, they're ranchers. And I got to talk with this, this man, he's about my age, that uh, talked about taking care of cows and what kind of cows he runs and why he runs the type of cows that he does. And I understood, when I, I asked him, how did you... How'd you do this? How'd you become a rancher? Why'd you, you choose to do that? Because he doesn't own the ranch, but he works with the cows. And and what he told me was a spiritual story of how he became a Christian and how he ended up where he did. And one of the things that he shared was that when I, I'm out there riding horses, chasing those cows around, I just don't feel like I'm working. I feel like I'm doing something that I love, that I'm excited about. And hopefully the way I ranch shows Jesus in some form or fashion to the people around me. A great example for us. I think about, um, and there's, you know, I, we could talk all day, and I won't do that, I promise, okay? I'm not going to talk all day. You know, I know that people get nervous whenever a minister says, I could talk all day. I won't, okay, I promise. Beth would give me a lecture afterwards if I did that, and I'm not going to do that. Right, right, Beth? That's right, exactly. Yeah, Beth said she'd do that, okay? I think about just a, a few people that have, have decided to follow Christ here in the last little while um, Heidi Herbst and, and Jay Lynn. Um, one of the things that happened there is that uh, Trisha took very Trisha Herbst took very seriously the the spiritual development of those two young ladies. 
and started working with them over the last while to say, you need to follow God, let's talk about what that means, and went through Bible studies with them. And Tricia demonstrated that whatever she does as a bookkeeper, she's got a very important role in, in uh, influencing the people, those young ladies that are in her sphere of influence to follow God. I think about with, with Tony that was baptized here recently, you know, what an amazing story of faith, that, that, or story of, of God continuing to call. That pretty good story, right, Tony? Pretty amazing story. But I know that I haven't been the one that has sat in on those Bible studies with Tony. There's Beth and Dan and, and many others have, have sat in with Tony and shared the message of Jesus with him. And, and Tony is going to have the opportunity, I'm sure, throughout his life to be able to share that with others that, uh, that he comes in contact with. And so it's, it's not about, man, the minister figuring everything out and saying just the right thing, okay? I, there's a, a message or an analogy that I, found, I, I came across here a while back that I think was really, really good, okay? Is that any of us who serve, like I am, trying to share God's message to encourage you to be excited about living the abundant life of Jesus next week. Um, all of us serve in, in some form or fashion. But I believe the greatest things that happen, there's been churches that have, that have done wonderful and just grown and expanded and had horrible ministers, okay? And, and vice versa and all that. But think about this, okay? I, and I thought about it, it was helpful for me to think about it in terms of, of how we sing and, and just how approach God in different ways. Think about this analogy, okay? If God is up there and God is, is beautiful and he's amazing, just imagine the, the presence of God. Okay, Think about the throne room of, that you see in Revelation that is up there behind me. And, and it's just amazing. You can see angels. You can see God. You can see this throne that he is on. And there's people coming together in order to honor him because of the great power that he has and who he is. Okay? And if I'm standing here with my finger pointing towards this, saying, look at this, look at how powerful this is, look at how amazing this is, and you leave here today saying, wow, I think you know, Chris's finger was just not quite straight, and I noticed that his finger is just a little bit bent, and he, he, I wish his finger was just a little bit longer, I wish it was, you see what my point is here, is that all of us do the best we can to point towards God, but it's going to be imperfect in some form or fashion. But all of us deciding, I'm not going to look at the finger so much that's pointing to God, but I'm going to look at God, and I'm going to wake up every day, and God, today is the day. I know there's going to be bumps, I know there's going to be bruises, I know there's going to be things that I fall short in, I know there's going to be people that mistreat me, but what I'm going to do today is I'm going to wake up, and I'm going to live the abundant life of Jesus the best I can right now, right here, in whatever work I do, and I'm going to offer that to you. And you may send somebody my direction that I can share the message of Jesus with. And I don't know all the answers, but I do know how I became a Christian. I can tell people about that. And I can read the book of Luke with them. Or, or whatever it may be. Or maybe somebody that I'm working with is going through a tough situation in life and there's going to be nobody else that cares about what they're going through. But I can just walk up beside them and say, you're going to be in my prayers here the next while. If I can be a blessing in any way, just let me know. And eternity is changed by something like that. A few more spiritual lessons. As God, God has called us to work for him. Every one of us, we're called to do that. Uh, called to work uh, in, in, in all ways for him. 
uh, God has, called, has empowered us to work for him. Remember, there's a scripture that says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's true then, it's true now. In everything we do, God is there walking along beside us. God has gifted us to work for him. Again, this is, I think, a very important concept. I brought it up a few weeks ago, and I'm going to bring it up again. It's very, very important, okay? God made you to be just who you are. And your job is to be the best you can, you can be, okay? There is, don't try to be anybody else. Don't compare yourself to anybody else. Scripture is very clear about that. But just be the best you you can be and be excited about what God has created you to be. Okay? Our world has a, a perception of this is what a, a wonderful person looks like. And if you don't fit that and you, you feel like inferior because of it, okay, just, just throw that away. As God has created you, who he wants you to be, and your job is to wake up every morning and be the best you you can be. That's what God wants out of you. And he's created you to have have gifts to be able to serve God in ways that nobody else can in a sphere of influence in the area in a way nobody else can. And God has called us to work together for him. Let me share four different areas that we can consider. If you're passionate about something, really excited about something, if something burdens you, if there's a need for someone to serve in those areas, and there's a giftedness where all four of those things come together that is where we find some of the greatest fulfillment whenever we work for God, whether it be in our secular jobs, whether it be working in, our, in the church, whatever it is. It's something that God has created all of it for us to do for him with our passions, the things that burden us. Like, man, nobody's doing this. Somebody's got to do something about that. Our need, our giftedness, all those things come together to make us become powerful servants in God's kingdom. And my prayer is for all of us that as we wake up, Tomorrow, they can remember some of the words from God this morning, some of the scriptures, and say, today is the day that I'm going to live out the abundant life of Jesus, and we'll just see what God does with me today. And I think in that, no matter what kind of work we're doing, whether we have a, a job that we love or a job that we don't, we can find great fulfillment because God is working through us to do great stuff. Let's stand and sing together. If you'd like to become a Christian, or you'd like prayers of the church, head to the back. The elders are, are uh, waiting back there to pray and walk through walk with you through whatever your burdens you're carrying in life right now. Let's stand and sing together.